We're in the back in the book of Matthew. If you have, um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 14. Um, if you don't have a Bible, slip your hands up. The ushers will pass one out. Um, if you don't own a Bible, you can keep that, of course. Um, we're, in the, we're in the book of Matthew, and, and we've been working our way through it. And to kind of come back to where we are, I, I want to I start with, have you ever been in a spot in your life, and my assumption, this is a pretty silly question, but where your life has been so chaotic? I mean, not just busy chaotic, but like there's been pressure and weight against you in a way that is, it's, it's so difficult and so hard to, to even, even get up or to go to the next day, where you feel like it's just this relentless push over and over and over again, where you're like, I can't, I can't keep going at this pace. Almost a spot where maybe even at times you're like, I'm not even sure I want to get out of bed. Have you ever felt this pressure in this world where you're just like, I just, I don't know if where I am is even where I'm supposed to be, but I know that where I am, I cannot stay forever. And so you start clamoring and grabbing and looking for a way out. My assumption is that all of us have either been there at some point, are going to be there at some point, or in that point right now. And my encouragement is, is this is a text in, in Matthew that, that I've read before, you've heard, it's, 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 it's a bit of history, it's not a parable, it's a story where we can, we can know a little bit more about who Jesus is and what he does. But you've heard this story over and over again, and, and you've probably heard it the way I did, which is this, this point about the fact that Peter walks on the water, right? But, but there's something that God did in this week, in the last few weeks as I've been studying this in this text, that I think will, will drastically change the way we read this text, and honestly drastically change the way we view Jesus Christ, if, if you'll just do me this one thing, just sit in that chaos, just sit for a moment and feel that pressure, that pain, or whatever it may be. And maybe some of you, that's so easy right now. You're like, I'm in it. I don't have anywhere to go. But if you would just take heart to knowing what, what Jesus is trying to do in this text, I believe it is unbelievable how we can live in light of the storms in our life. And see, so the text, I want to build us up. We've kind of been out of order because we're doing it. And so what happened just before this was Jesus fed the 5,000. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And he... he, he he does this miraculous thing through the disciples of their faithfulness in, in, in feeding the 5,000. And so we, 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 but right before that, we know that he was, he was in, um, in Capernaum and he just got word that John the Baptist, his, his, his cousin, was dead. And so Jesus left. He got in a boat with his disciples and went across to a desolate place to pray. And, and it, the crowds followed him, and so he was in this desolate place, and that's what led to the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus set from Capernaum to this desolate place. We don't know exactly where, but it's in the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. And he, he works out, and he goes to do this, and, he, and we know that he has compassion on them. And so he starts healing the sick and doing those things. And we know that when it comes to about 3 to 6 p.m., the first evening for the Roman time that the Jews were keeping at that point, and that, that, that they were hungry, and so he asked the disciples to feed him with five fish and, and a couple pieces of bread, and they miraculously feed him. Well, what we gain from the Gospel of John is that after they feed him, they start, because the miracle was so amazing, there was so much leftover food, and there was, they were all over full and could not believe what they had seen, they wanted to make him king. And so they, so they start pushing on him to be king, and they're like, we want to make him rightful king. And so, so where this story picks up, where we pick up in chapter 14, verse 22, is right after this step of this amazing miracle of feeding 5,000 people where he used the disciples' hands to reach into that basket and that faith. And we talked about having the faith to just reach in, just reach in, even though you know that it doesn't make sense. And he did that over and over and over again with those disciples. And so those disciples experienced something amazing. 
and we, we see that this is where the text picks up. So in chapter um, 14, verse 22, it says, immediately, now, just in case you're wondering, immediately means right away, okay? So immediately after feeding the 5,000. So we know that somewhere in the realm of 3 to 6 p.m., we don't know if the, the feeding started at 3 and it took a while because it was a lot of people to feed, but somewhere in there, once they were done and he had gathered everything and we saw all the extra food that was left over when there was nothing on the front end, immediately, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And so I want to pause real quickly on this section. So this word, um, Jesus immediately made his disciples. That one word, made, changed this text completely for me. Because now, if you remember correctly of what we've seen of Jesus along the way, we've already seen Jesus do some incredibly miraculous things. But what happens here, and I think you can easily grab from the text that, that Jesus has his disciples, he forces, this, this word made, it means strongly persuade, strongly command his disciples to leave. And I think the reason why he's asked them to leave is because he didn't want them to take part in the making him a king. If you remember right, I mean, everyone misses it up to the end of, of, of Jesus' life. They expected to come in and defeat Rome. They saw something amazing. And so because of that, they instantly said, you're going to be made king. And Jesus knows that he's already a king, but for his kingship to take place, it has to happen in a very specific way. He has to be the Messiah king. And so, he, so he, he, he says to his disciples, I don't want you to take part in this. And now if you were the disciples, I'm pretty sure at that moment you would have been high-fiving each other. Did you see that? I just kept reaching in. That fish was coming out. Look at this. And then in the moment of, of dissension and disunity in, in the area and, and, the, and the Rome empowering them and the, the arguments between the scribes and the Pharisees, all of a sudden everyone in the crowd's going, make him a king. I feel like if I was Jesus' disciple, I'd be like, yeah, that's right. Let's do this. You're a king, Jesus. Come on pat him on the back and say, let's go. Let's just make this thing happen. And I feel like Jesus, in protecting that, says, no, I need you to go. Immediately, he commands them to get in the boat. And I feel like if I were one of the disciples, I'd kind of be sad. Man, we just saw something really cool, and everyone loves Jesus now. And this is amazing. We've already seen some opposition, but look, they're right now, the crowd's a turn. We could capitalize it. Like, if you're talking about leadership principles, and you want to build a church, now's the time, Jesus. Make it happen. Right? You got all the followers. They all love you. They like you. Just do it. But you and I know that Jesus isn't about being liked. He's about being Lord and loved. And so Jesus sends his disciples immediately away. And one of the things that I took from this text is being in a place of obedience is to be in a place of safety, no matter how difficult the circumstances. Being in a place of obedience means to be in safety. Now, the reason why that's a big deal is Jesus knows when storms come. These were fishermen They've been on the Sea of Galilee all the time, their life. They knew what it meant when the storms were coming in, and yet they got in that boat. And they got in that boat knowing that they were going to be rowing at night. Like, all of these things made no sense for a seasoned fisherman. But they said, no, okay, we're going to get in this boat. And, and I, it looks like the storm's coming. You know, here we can kind of look out west and be like, wow, look, there's a storm coming. Like, you see the storm and the wind's coming. And we know that right when they got in the boat, that they started going and, and immediately... Their boat was in, in against the winds. And we've talked about the Sea of Galilee before. It's, the northern part is, is at its widest, maybe eight to nine miles at this time, and, and about 13 miles in length. 
And we don't know specifically where in Capernaum, but we can estimate that the journey that the disciples were supposed to go on to getting back to Capernaum and in that area was anywhere from three to six miles. That's all they had to do. And they wouldn't just follow the shore. They would go out a little bit and then come in. And so we, we know that that was what's going on. But they stepped into this boat. They stepped into this boat and went out there. And you gotta, I'm just going to give you an idea of time for a second. Now picture, you know, seven miles and wide. I don't know how good you are at rowing. If some of you CrossFit people are like, I can do them like six-minute mile, you know, whatever. Like, but whatever, like you've got your, your, your rowing down, right? But it, it, realistically, in those boats, in those older boats, you can only row so quickly. But, but a, a four- to six-mile journey, maybe an hour and a half. I mean, maybe, maybe an hour and a half, maybe two hours, who knows, depending upon where it's at. But we know that, that this three to four mile journey, um, we know that Jesus, and we're going to get there in a second, shows up at the fourth watch. Now, this was a Roman time. This was the way they would do it. The fourth watch is three to six a.m. So that means that these poor dudes have been in this boat, rowing their hearts content, getting nowhere for the better part of seven or nine hours. Seven or nine hours, these are fishermen that know, like, this is, this, you don't go in the water this way. You don't, you don't just step out that way. Why would you do that? And Jesus, he, he sends them away so that he can tell the crowds to go away. I don't, know, I, don't, I, I don't know if you ever wish you were part of something. I wonder what he said to people to go away at that point. Like, hey, guys, I'm not the king. Go away. I, I don't know. Like, did he just say, go home? You're fed? I, did he just walk away? Did he disappear? We have no idea. But he sends the crowd to home so that he can go and do what he set out originally to do, which is spend time with God. And Jesus confidently sends his disciples into a storm so that he can confidently approach God alone. And I was, I, I was taken back by the fact that these seasoned fishermen had been rowing and rowing and rowing for the better part of nine hours in the dark. I don't, I don't know if you've rowed. It's tiring. They're taking turns and they're not getting anywhere. So Jesus, I believe that Jesus being in a place of obedience is the place to be of safety, is to be in a place of safety, no matter how difficult the circumstances. So his disciples obeyed him. John 15 tells us, Jesus says, if you love me, obey me. When you obey me, you remain, you abide in my love, just as I in my father's love. So there's this, there's this tie that he makes between obedience and love and playing there. And these disciples stepped into a boat when it made no sense to do so. And they stepped in that boat and started rowing. Fourth watch, 6 a.m. So I'm going to pick up in verse uh, 25. He says, and, the, and, and, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, that's pretty amazing by itself, okay? Like, but, but again, here, here's the question I have for you. We just read about two chapters earlier, that, or in chapter 8, that Jesus just said, hey, stop storm, and it disappeared. Remember, he was sleeping through the storm? Like, I mean, that guy's a deep sleeper, right? Like, the things, the boat's crashing, he's just like, oh, okay. Uh, quiet storm, and it stops. But instead of quieting the storm, Jesus does what no one else can do, right? He walks out to them in the storm. He approaches them in the storm. Jesus doesn't calm the storm. He comes to them. My, my word for you guys is that, is that whatever storm or chaos you're in, you may be praying for God to bring you out of it, when you're saying, no, I'm going to show up in it. It may be so hard and so difficult, and you don't see a solution, but I'm going to show up in a way that only I can. And yeah, I could, he could click his fingers, he could say his words, he could just think it, and the storm could go away. 
But Jesus is doing something, I believe, incredible right here to teach his disciples something amazing that you and I can take from this and apply to our life in the storms and the difficulties. So he's on the fourth watch. He's walking out. So it's 3 to 6 a.m. Jesus has been spent the last seven, nine hours praying. His poor disciples have been spent the last seven, nine hours rowing as hard as they can, trying not to die. All right, so he says, so he comes out to them on, on, on the water, and he says, and, and they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart, be joyful. Be joyful is what that means. Be joyful, it is I. You notice Jesus, this storm, the wind's crashing, the boat's going every which direction. They're cramping up, and they're trying to take out turns on ramp, on, on, on rowing and everything, and they're just exhausted. And Jesus doesn't say, it's me, Jesus. He says, it is I. His disciples knew his voice. His disciples knew his voice. So there is a way for you and I to be struggling in the chaos where our ears and our hearts are still aligned to our Father's voice. In fact, his voice was so clear to him that this is where Peter goes, well, then I'm coming out to you. Right? So he comes, he walks out, he says, take courage, take heart, be joyful. I'm here. And we, don't, we know that the storm's still going, so Jesus is standing perfectly confident on the water, and he says, it's me. In fact, we can take this text, and he says, it is I. It's the same way that, that God says his name, I am. So this is a massive, one of the most one of the largest declarations for Jesus to claim his deity. He says, it's me. And, and again, the disciples had seen a lot of amazing things, but picturing Jesus walking on water wasn't one they even could fathom. So their first thing was fear and it's a ghost. Right? Even though they experienced just a few minutes ago feeding 5,000 people plus with nothing, they were exhausted, they were tired, they were beat up. They had literally just been sitting in the middle of the Sea of Galilee going nowhere against the wind, trying to get back to where Jesus asked them to go. And they says, take courage, take heart. It is I. Let that sink into you. Where you are, there's a relationship that's falling apart. You, you're, you're so afraid. You just graduated college. You don't know where you're supposed to be. You're, you're struggling. You got fear. Take heart, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus takes delight in coming into the storms and being present. He could have so easily done this differently. He could have done whatever he wanted to do, but instead he said, no, I'm going to let this storm happen, and I'm going to come to them. So take heart. Be courageous. And then in verse 28, this is the part that most people will usually preach out of this text. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, and if it is you is better translated, since it is you, since it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Okay, I got to pause on that one. Who would say that? Like, seriously, think about that for a second. The water's crashing like crazy. Jesus is out there, and Peter's like, since it's you, God, let me come to you. I mean, that seems like such a ridiculous thing to ask. But yet, I am so encouraged by it. Because a lot of times you and I are in our mess, in our chaos, and we are, we are so focused in on us and what's going on that we, are, we don't have the faith to ask something bold in that time. We don't have the faith to say, God, I know that my health is failing, but in this, let me be what you want me to be. Lead me where you want me to lead me. And you ask something totally ridiculous. 
and say, God, you will do it. You know, the disciples never really failed, prayed if it's your will. They just asked. And so Peter says, since it's you, God, command me out of the boat. Let me come to you. I wrote it this way where it says, it's safer to be with Jesus on the water than without him in the boat. It's safer for us to, to go out into the chaos with Jesus than to sit in some little safe, man-made, our own strength place. And so Peter says, if it's you, command me, command me. And I love this. This is a, he's, he, command me is, is obvious, like, you are Lord. Like, I am, I am not in any way, shape, or form worthy to be equal with you. It's command me to come out to you. And then Jesus says, he says, one word, come. Now, I think I have faith. But I feel like there, maybe there was like another follow-up question. You know, Peter like, okay, wait, you said come, Jesus? Like, do you mean like, like right now? Or like, is it like, like I mean, wait, did he, did he say come out, guys? Like, did I hear that right? Like, no, Peter, we don't have that, right? Peter doesn't, doesn't doubt for a second. He just kind of steps out into the water, which to me is ridiculous. Right, the warm, it's going like crazy. He's exhausted. And maybe, maybe that's what it is. He's just so tired, he's not thinking straight. He's like, I don't know, okay, I'll just go out this way. But either way, he steps out into the water with one word, come. How often have you heard that one word from God and you have hesitated? How often do you hear him say, no, 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 I want you to do this. His spirit prompting you and leading you to do something. And you hear it. And you're like, I think he said that. But then you're like, well, it doesn't really make sense for me to stop and help this person because I'm really busy. No, I know know what you're asking me, God, but it doesn't really make sense because I have goals in what I want to do with my life, and that doesn't seem to fit in it right now. No, 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 no. I know know what you're asking, but that just, it seems a little bit ludicrous. Right? I, you know, it seems, that seems a little too, I don't want to be one of those crazy followers. <laughs> Who is Peter? The guy gets such a bad rap. Right? He gets such a bad rap. He's, oh yeah, he, he denies Jesus. He, he, he runs from him in, in, in the worst time ever. But do you realize he was the only disciple that was even close proximity to Jesus in the crucifixion? The rest of them were long gone. They were hiding in someone else's house a long ways away, but Peter was there. He gets a bad rap because, because at one point he's saying, I will never do this. And he starts tempting and Satan uses him to tempt Jesus. He's like, away from me. And Peter's always getting a bad rap. But you know what's interesting about Peter? It's the same guy that years later pens this in 1 Peter 1, 6-7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Various trials mean trials that come at you, things that you didn't have any control over. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Those words mean so much more to me knowing that he's willing to step out of the boat. He understands his faith being beat up and failing over and over and over again. In fact, the text goes on. We're going to find out right here. Even though he steps out, he still fails. Right? But Peter says, look, look, these trials, these difficulties, these things, they're going to show and bring about something that is going to bring so much glory and honor to Jesus Christ. So sit in it. 
stay in it. No storm is too severe for him to save us. No matter what you're dealing with, nothing is too severe for Jesus. And so he, Peter says, he says, come. And Peter doesn't ask, like, okay, wait, now, like, right now, do I, like, do I jump in? Like, do I kind of get on my, like, do I step in and, like, put my butt in first? You know, he doesn't ask any kind. He just steps out of the boat and starts walking. We don't know how long this amazing walk is. We know that no one else has done it since, right? And there's lots of people that have tried to define ways at why this didn't work or try to logically make sense of it. And there is no way to make sense of this. And he, he steps out. He starts coming to him. So Peter got out of the boat and just walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, before we go further, could you imagine being the other disciples? Do you think any of them were like, oh, hey, that's kind of cool. Um, hey, Jesus, can you, can you do more than one person at a time? Like, could I join him? What, what, what's going through their mind? Like, are they like sitting there going, Peter, you idiot? Like, what's wrong with you? The storm, like we're dying, or, or, or were, they, were they in this moment where they see someone do something so faithful and so crazy, we're like, we got to keep rowing this boat, dude. We got we to gotta keep rowing the boat. Why are you jumping out now? Going to be with Jesus. Come on now. We got some rowing to do. All right, what was their posture? We don't get any, in any of all four gospels, we don't get any kind of account of what they did. They just sat and watched. And so Peter starts walking on water. He's walking towards the Lord. And then, it, we don't know how long, right? And he's coming to, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, now, we don't see wind, right? We don't really see it, but he, it's the wind that, that, that he's feeling that's pushing against him. It's what's causing the water to rock so much, right? But when he sees the wind, he starts having fear. What happens is he starts thinking about what he's doing and saying, this doesn't make sense. I should be drowning right now. He's a seasoned fisherman. He's like, you don't jump out of the boat at this time. Well, this is the worst time to do it. You might as well just, just make your grave right now. And what ends up happening is, is Peter and his strength and his understanding starts leading into his own wisdom and understanding and starts bringing fear. And Jesus teaches us a great lesson here. It is virtually impossible to stand in obedience and trust to God when there's fear of something else there. It gets in the way every time. You may be able to see them both for present for time and you're wrestling with doubt but when that fear comes in it takes away the value and the trust that we have in God. And so he begins to start sinking. Now we don't know if this is a slow thing or if you just notice that like wait I'm in knee deep water now or uh, we don't know what happens. But then Peter does something that I think all of us forget to do in times of chaos. Right? He utterly yells at the, cry, at the cry out at the top of his voice, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. He doesn't turn back to the disciples like, dude, throw the life jacket. Sound the horn. Call the National Guard. He doesn't turn to these. He says, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. You know what's interesting to me is they spent the better part of seven to nine hours rowing as hard as they can trying to keep that boat upright before they finally cried out to the Lord. And I feel like that is such a preview of our lives we spend so much time trying to do it on our own strength. These seasoned fishermen, well, it's been worse. You know, they're probably telling tales. Remember that one back in, you know, before BC, whatever, you know, like we were there, like, you remember that time? Like, remember when grandpa did this and that big fish came and like, they were probably, we got this, no worries. I got this, I've, you know, I've, I've done this. And they started relying on their own strength and their strength exhausted, got them absolutely nowhere. 
And it wasn't until Peter says, Lord, save me. And what happens? Instantly. His hand is there. Instantly. He says, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out. So, so Peter made it a distance to, to Jesus. He made it on the water, right? And Jesus immediately reaches out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Which I think is a very provocative question because here they are standing on water with the waves going every which direction. It's like, why did you doubt? And Peter's like, dude, I mean, like, look at this. I mean, this is insane. I mean, we're, we're talking to each other on water right now. You realize, like, this isn't normal. I mean, why did I doubt? What we're doing is ridiculous. But Jesus takes the time to save him and then say, hey, 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 your faith is still little. Why did you doubt? Why do you doubt me? And, it, and I, we, we want to give Peter bad rap for this. Be like, dude, I can't believe the, the guy doubted him. But remember, he, he stepped out of the boat. And I feel like Jesus is like, you had the faith to step. You had the faith to follow me into the boat and to follow me out of the boat. So, and, and both ways, I'm here and I've showed up and you are still okay. Why do you doubt? Yeah, you're tired. You're beat up. You're exhausted. You haven't been sleeping. You've been taking turns rowing. You've been arguing with Philip because he's annoying sometimes. You're like, man, you guys just can't, right? And yet you, you, you realize, like, I'm here. So why, why did you doubt? I feel like that's one of those questions that could have waited until they were on the land. Like, Jesus, can we talk about that over there? Like, I'm kind of still struggling. Jesus just so boldly, so confidently in the storm saying, I'm present with you. Do you hear that? Your relationship that's falling apart, I'm right here. I'm not, I'm not off. I don't know where you are. I'm not busy just doing my own thing. In fact, what I was doing was praying for you. I'm, I'm, I'm present. I know exactly where you are. I know exactly who you are. And I know your breaking point, but I'm here because I'm teaching you something so valuable that it doesn't work if I just snap my fingers and pull you out. I need you to say, I need you to be paying attention to stay. Charles Spurgeon has a quote. He says, when you can't trace God's hand, you have to trust his heart. And my assumption is so many of you right now, you're trying to trace God's hand in your life and it doesn't make sense. You're like, I've been trying to leave and it won't happen. I've been trying to get this and it doesn't work. I've been trying to get this girl to date me and she just won't date me. Whatever it may be, I've been trying to get pregnant and it won't happen. I've been trying to quit this addiction and it won't happen. I can't stop looking at the computer screen and you keep running into those things going, it's just not working. And Jesus is going, I'm here. Cry out to me. Don't you get it? It's not about me just waving the storm away. It's about me being present in the storm because I have called you to something so great to be present in this dark, dark world and be my salt and light. If every time it gets difficult, you're going to up, pack your bags and run, oh, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him saying, and this is the part that I think makes the most sense to why being in the place of obedience is the place of the most safety. They worshiped and said, truly you are the Son of God. See what happens? Mark chapter 6, verse 52 tells us that the Pharisees, after a number of miracles, still had their hearts hard, or the, the disciples still had their hearts hardened. They still didn't necessarily see it. You know what happens in this situation? When Jesus shows up in the storm, you know what they do? They do the right thing. You are the Son of God. This is the first time they declare it. You are Him. We did everything we possibly could in our own strength. And we worked really hard 
We're like, we have like the varsity team of fishermen trying to run this boat and nothing's happening. And when we finally cried out and you showed up, man, you are the son of God. See what Jesus is doing with your storms? Church, what he's doing with you right now is he's saying, look, obey me. Remain under. Stay put. These various trials that are coming at you, it's producing something that you are incapable of producing that only me, the author and perfecter of your faith, can do. And what I'm doing is bringing much glory to me through you. So stay put. Cry out to me. Stop doing it on your own strength. You can do nothing apart from God. Peter didn't even step out of the boat in his own faith. He asked the Lord to command him to step out of the boat. So what is it for you? Is it, is, it, is, it, is it a running from storm? Is it a running from relationships? Some of you college students, you're like, I just graduated, I'm just gonna run and I'm gonna, I'm gonna abandon everything I know for the summer. Is it, you've been in the church for a long time, you're just like, I just don't think there's any value in, in this Jesus thing. What, 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 I, can't, I, I can't see him showing up again. I've asked and asked and asked. Some of you right now, like, you're like, man, I, I have asked, I have asked. You can't trace his hand. Trust his character and his heart. You're maybe asking for the wrong thing. Jesus says, no, I, I know. I know what I'm doing. I'm sending you into a boat, and you're going to get on those waters, and it's going to be horrific for the better part of nine hours. I mean, have you ever been lost? It's infuriating, right? Like, when you're like, this should only take an hour, but it's been nine hours. Like, that's, I don't think I have the, the strength to, to obey God in that time. <laughs> you get lost, you start getting really, really frustrated. So whatever storm you're in, whatever you're going through, whether it's chaos or the world's swimming or you, you feel like you're a better part of death or you, you, this relationship just cannot be reconciled or you keep working on these things, you're just wrestling with so many areas. No matter what it is, take heart. Take heart. He is there. Listen for his voice. And he might just blow your mind with the way he's going to solve it. You'll look back and go, there is no foreseeable way that I could have done that. How many of you have ever experienced that? Raise your hand where you're like, man, I, I couldn't have gotten it out. You can be proud because it's not you, it was God. Okay? Right, you've experienced this, 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 this amazing work where you're like, man, it was him. And it may look crazy to other people. You may look just ridiculous. Like, wait, you're going to do what? Why are you going to do that? Because I, I know his voice and I'm going to him. Instead of sitting in this boat, wallowing in my pain and my efforts failing me, I'm running to him. I'm going to step out. I'm going to Jesus where he is no matter what, no matter what it takes. So people stepping out in baptism. That's why it's such a beautiful thing. It's like I'm, I'm aligning myself with him. It's not, a, it's not some small thing. It's a beautiful proclamation of what Jesus is doing to and in their hearts. So my assumption is whether you're in the storm or a storm's coming, all of us need to listen more for his voice. So when he claims that it's me, I'm here, we can just say, God, call me to you. Draw me out. We say, draw me out. Draw me out to you. Draw me to you. Oh, you have little faith. Don't doubt. He's there. He's strong. He's able. The band's going to come up. We're going to worship. God, thank you for... Thank you for not removing the storms in my life. Even though I've asked over and over and over again for you to do so in so many different ways, 
you've faithfully kept me in there. And thank you for reminding me of your voice in the storm. Thank you for reminding me that, that I can come to you in this storm and I don't need to rely on my own strength. That my strength is nothing. That I am weak compared to that. Father, I do pray for each individual in this room, whether they're in the storm or they're coming to a storm, I pray that it wouldn't be nine hours of rowing on our own, that the first thing we would do would be to drop on our face before you. Father, I pray for us to have a faith like Peter, where when we hear your voice, we just step. And we don't worry about what others may or may not like. We don't care if it does or doesn't make sense. We just want to be in a place of obedience. Because we know when we're obedient, God, that's to be in a place of safety. God, you are God in our storms. And you call us to live in your glory and your light and to bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven in a very, very dark, stormy place, God. So may we take joy in knowing that you are with us. I pray all this in Jesus' name.